Welcome to Social Work Stories, a podcast exploring social work practice through stories and critical reflection. This podcast is recorded on Aboriginal country, which was never ceded. We acknowledge the traditional custodians and cultural knowledge holders of these lands and pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present, and emerging. We offer a warm welcome to any Indigenous listeners who are part of our podcast community around the world. If you have thoughts or feedback for our team, or just want to find our whole back catalogue of episodes, check out our website, socialworkstories.com. But for now, on with the episode. Hi everyone, welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. I'm Mim Fox and I'm here as usual with my lovely, wonderful friend, Liz Murphy. Hi Liz. Hello Mim and hello everyone. Hello everyone, happy World Social Work Day. It It is. is around this time of year, right? It is roughly around here. So generally, well, it's always the third Tuesday of March, which by the way, if I rule the world, only a matter of time, I'd change it. Oh, March is March a terrible is too month. too early in the year. Oh, come on. There's come so much on. going on in March. Well, like, who came up with that idea? Well, clearly our um, other side of the world friends would probably have a different opinion. But in Australia, the beginning of March is a tricky time for World Social Work Day. That being said, Liz, every World Social Work Day, what I love the most is standing in a room full of social workers. Yeah. And look, we, we, as in you and I, are going to do that. We are. This year, together again. Because, Mim, just, you know, not wanting to bore you too much, listeners, but I'd like to say that World Social Work Day for me is a day, it's a line in the sand of our friendship. I think that's when you and I first started toying with the idea of a some, a story, social work stories. Yeah, like in the Marvel Universe, I would say that World Social Work Day was our origin story. It's where we started from, where we first time, where you and I actually took ourselves away from the everyday of the work and started saying, is there something bigger that we can do here, right? Is there something we can do about all these stories, all these wonderful experiences that us and our colleagues are having and that was also roundabout when podcasting was starting to get some movement, right? Right. It was actually beginning. So I think that was the beginning of uh, this little project, actually. And so this year, in true social work profession form, Mim, we've got a theme that has diversity in it again. Yeah. And it's respecting diversity through joint action. I mean, only social workers can cram that, that many, many words into a theme. <laughs> and, and our values too. I think there's about two or three values in that one title. Fantastic. It's very efficient. It's very efficient and um, and works really well with our story today, Liz. It does. Yeah. So um, last year I uh, went and travelled to our cousin country, Otoroa, New Zealand, and spent some time with some incredible social work educators over there. And in my time there, I got to meet this man called Jack Scanlon, who is a wonderful Pacifica academic researcher and practitioner. And he gives us a beautiful Pacifica story today. We're really grateful for this story because it actually really brings together some of those themes of World Social Work Day. Listeners, you'll see that Jack starts his story by uh, with a a traditional Samoan greeting and uh, really sets the scene, I think, Liz, uh, for the warmth and just really really beautifully interpersonal connection that this story tells, yeah? 
look, I'm, 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 I touch my heart when I hear this. Um, so let's listen to it, Mim, because this is a beautiful meandering story that has so many layers that you and I are so keen to talk about. So let's listen now. O te whatu lawatu, e paema mamalu o fia, ta nane ma ave esi esi, ma lole suifu langi mama, si alofa, o legei, wa tato aliangi fangua, wa tato fasili fai, puio o manu, e mitamita lo nganga, o wa, wa tole tino le masina, e moni lava mu nganga o kavika, o le. Oliaso linge, fire ilia lii, tatote olioli, mafia fia iai. Tina kotu kato, e mihi, ina mihi kia koto, no mai, piki mai, haere mai. And also, too, I want to acknowledge the ancestral uh, people of this land that I'm able to speak. Yeah, so um, I, I gave a, a sort of Samoan uh, formal sort of introductional welcome, um, but in the piece um, that I, I talked about was there were segments that we often use sayings and stuff. So the welcome was about acknowledging the space, acknowledging the privileged space that I'm, I'm in, obviously acknowledging a faith that I come from. And I suppose like anything else, uh, coming from a, a Samoan perspective is that it is about, it's that honouring and, 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 and being privileged. Yeah, so uh, I suppose for me is that um, I was, I suppose, voluntold to uh, offer a story about my experience. So while I am in an academic space of being a social work lecturer at Massey University, I come from 20 years experience working in the youth justice field or juvenile justice, uh, your equivalent. Now, 17 years of working in youth justice, I work for the New Zealand police. So today I'm going to talk about my experience of being a police social worker. And yeah, sort of share a better insight about obviously being a social worker employed by the police, working with my community, uh, working in South Auckland, that is predominantly Pacific Islander. And I suppose negotiating those sort of spaces that is quite tenuous, especially one being a social worker and two working for police. And uh, I suppose, yeah, those sort of experiences of, of working as a police social worker. I suppose like anything else, when I... I suppose for me, um, how I got into sort of uh, working, well, I suppose working with police, because um, I know this is recorded, I mean, I, I had a natural dislike of police. <laughs> and it was actually quite ironic that I'd end up working for the police. But I suppose for me is that, you know, being a change agent, if there was an opportunity to work with an organisation that obviously... Uh, was seen by my community as locking my people away. What could that look like uh, from the inside out? So, uh, yeah, I, I saw the opportunity. Obviously, even before I worked for the police, I worked in the community. And and often it was advocating against what police were doing. So they were locking them up and I was trying to get them out. So we had a real contentious relationship. So it was actually quite ironic that I ended up working for police, but they had a natural respect 
Because I think at the end of the day, they wanted us to sort of see those same sort of outcomes. But again, they were constricted of being sworn police officers. So I went into the space as a, as a non-sworn officer, wearing the label of being a social worker or youth worker in that space. And yeah, sort of working with the community and working within the police because we were something new. And I suppose we came about because police wanted us to sort of see how how could they work with, you know, some of the terms they used back then was crime families that often came to police attention. What could they do differently? And so it was an initiative that the government sort of um, put funding for that I suppose was an opportunity around reducing crime. I suppose for me, the short story I'm going to share is about a young person I was referred to Obviously, I can't give names or anything, but you know, he was referred to me as the judge's last chance. So he was a known offender. He was a gang leader in the area I worked in, and so he was well known, obviously, by the police, by the courts, and obviously by the community or the hood that we came from. And so it was actually a police officer that approached me and said, you know. Do you think you can work with him? Because there's there's no one else. And he was referred to me at 17. And we were sort of like the last chance. And if if I wasn't able to work with him, then he'd be sent to prison. So it was a tough assignment. But then in saying that, I think, I suppose that's us as social workers, is that we like the hard, we like the difficult, and we like, we love the challenge. So I saw it more as an opportunity to sort of, well, it can't get any worse. So, you know, what would that look like? Um, so I started working with him. And a little bit about his background was that he was adopted uh, by his auntie, who he saw more as, well, he, uh, his mum. But her husband didn't see him as as a son. So he never really felt his place within, within his home and his... Uh, father sort of reminded him that he's not part of this family and, and everything else. So, you know, he, he faced rejection from a young age of, of not being accepted. And I suppose like anything else, if you're not accepted within your own family, you then look to other families. And one of them was, you know, he turned to the gangs and became a leader of a, of a youth gang in, in our area. I'd like to say that it was a story that it was, it was plain sailing that everything worked out but yeah in retrospect and in reflection it wasn't like that often I was working with him or trying to work with him because like anything else um, every time I tried to set appointments to meet with him he made sure that he was never there so it was a bit of cat and mouse I suppose like anything else being a police social worker you know it was a new thing you know I got off I got asked this sort of question before what is it like being a police social worker you know what would you need to do and um, I said, oh, you need uh, steel cap boots. And they go, oh my gosh, is, you know, what, isn't that like pr- police brutality? I said, no, you know, because when you go visit uh, families and all that, and you knock on the door and say hello, and then you say who you work for, well, they're going to slam <laughs> slam the door in your face. So at least having steel cap boots, you won't break your, break your toes. So, yeah, it was uh, one of these sort of uh, contentious relationships uh, working in this field. Anyway, uh, please bring me on track because I am a storyteller. <laughs> um, a lot of my time was trying to connect with with this uh, young person, and 
When I finally got to meet with meet with him, it was more about he he didn't see much hope for himself. He obviously felt, you know, being rejected and the trauma that is in and around rejection. And he had a mistrust of authority and he had a mistrust of males, especially Pacific males. So I think for me, working with him was that it was the first time he had actually met with a Pacific older male that saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. And so a lot of my work was trying to put him onto courses, put, um, get, getting him jobs. And I, and I use plurals, courses and jobs, because everything I tried to do with him, yep, he made sure he got kicked out of the course and lost those jobs. But like anything else, when I took on this case was I wasn't going to give up. And so I just kept on trying, kept being positive, sometimes being realist, uh, realistic at times. But I suppose like anything else was trying to change that relationship of, of working with males, working with Pacific males. Again, you know, the stereotype of being a Pacific male and especially the community I come from is that, you know, we're, we're more of a, the statistics than rather being the change agents. So it, it was trying to sort of change those sort of narratives for him. I suppose for me there was like several different moments. I mean, working with young people, and especially Pacific young people, the biggest uh, way to work with young people, or Pacific young people, is food. So a lot of our interaction was always around food. And like anything else, you can't be hangry when you're with someone. So often we would just talk over meals and just talk about anything and everything. I suppose for me is that... What he appreciated was that I gave him time and space. And and sometimes for me is that, um, it's probably my Pacific or indigenous nature, is that I didn't work by the clock. So it wasn't meeting for half an hour and all that. Sometimes it would be half a day, and sometimes I'd be over with all my other appointments, but I just wanted to give him that sort of time and space that he actually, I actually liked being in his company and hanging with him and, and talking and talking about possibilities and aspirations and things that he never th- saw in himself and that belief. It was a lot of that. But it was also to a lot of advocacy as well. It was hard in the space he, he's in. And, and when I talk about that, you know, racism was prevalent, you know, targeted based on race. And I suppose for me is working in that space advocating in a space that was hard. I used my private space of education that I was able to break down some of the professional languaging that lawyers and you know other professionals that were uh, using, understanding the legislation and challenging a lot of that stuff in court where um, by knowing the system and knowing how it works, sometimes knowing the loopholes, and using that professional talk. So I spoke to two different languages. I, I was able to translate his feelings, his thoughts, but putting it in a, in a jargon that uh, the judges would understand. But I suppose like anything else is that painting or telling a story that, you know, this isn't a criminal number or a, yeah, that this is just another young person, another statistic, but actually telling a story in court, asking for chances, going back to court because he's gone and breached again, but keep on advocating 
And I suppose that was a lot of the challenges that I faced in that space. Also too, creating allies in that space. So I suppose for me, using that leverage of being, of working within police and talking to police around, yes, you see the offending rates of this person all that, but let's look at the context and the background. So actually painting a different picture and around that. So that I suppose that helped in that space. I suppose like anything else, and why I'm sharing this story is that he wasn't a young person client that was like a straightforward six months, 12 months exit, and that's it. You know, I got to see him 15 years later, and I had an opportunity to hear his story from his perspective of being an adult. And I suppose what I want to sort of leave with everyone or share today is that, you know, as a social worker, you have the opportunity to speak life into young people and it's not a wasted story and every time that you feel like you know you're wasting your time you're trying to encourage them it it won't work it actually worked with this young person he shared his gratitude and that was um humbling (laughs) because you know social work profession is a thankless profession and we don't really know what we do and where young people end up but he thanked me as a father and a father of three kids and as a good father that he he broke that cycle and and he thanked me for actually having that belief in him and like anything else you know I'll, I'll take wins like I'll take wins for our profession wherever they come and I'm proud of him yeah, I'm proud of him. Never give up. <laughs> Never give, give up in the space. Yes, we work in a bureaucratic system that sometimes works against us, but you've got to have that faith and that belief. And I suppose what I shared in the beginning was about having that faith and belief in others. Wow. I just love that story so much. And I don't know if it's because of the gentleness and grace in which Jack tells the story that first touched me. Um, But I've listened to it twice now and there's so many layers to it. And I'm, I'm hopeful that you and I can do this story justice. In my mind, Mim, I want to talk about like three of the layers that I heard. And that was the layer of Jack the social worker. I really would like to talk about that. Then there was the young man who the story centres around. And then there was the therapeutic approach that was woven throughout the story. Yeah, and in some ways all three of those come together as well, right? Because in the in the beautiful meandering way that Jack tells a story, uh, sometimes they actually go hand in hand, all those elements. So, yeah. um, I mean, I could have listened to Jack's voice forever. Oh, me too. <laughs> I me know. too. I know. So let's talk about um, uh, this incredible conflict that Jack had working with as a Samoan man working with the police and the Pacifica community, right? He had to straddle multiple worlds, didn't he? I know Mm. he talked about the contentious position that he was in. And in my mind, I have him straddling the world of 
being a member of the, the Pacifica, South Pacifica community in which he lived, being an employee of the police and also being a social worker. And I loved the way that he was able to, with real discernment, adjust to those worlds. So when he was connecting with the young man, he was able to bring himself as a, as a South Pacifica man in there, such a needed role model for this young man, and I want to come back to that later. He was also able to, um, at times, use, as he said, his professional self, use professional language when he was with the police or in the courts. And then he was able to change the culture within the police around the way in which he talked about the young people he was working with. And I think at one stage, Mimi even talked about many of the police I worked with, in fact, wanted to, wanted changes that this position was able to bring. That's right. But were restricted by the, their role. So they actually valued his role. And I, I would imagine that a big part of it being n- new in that, I, I, I'd imagine it's a new position, that he really had to be conscious of how he worked within that culture and brought about change and brought people with him as opposed to that contentious, um, I guess, climate within in the role. Well, I think it's that softly, softly approach, right, where you're developing allies at the same time as challenging the status quo. So you're kind of saying there are these things we all want to achieve together, softly, softly, how can we move ourselves towards collectively move ourselves towards working in a different way or approaching these young people in a different way or thinking about their lives in a different way, right? Mm. Um, Because the police are so instrumental in the life story of a young person. I would imagine too he mentioned about the, the racism and the stereotypes that were also that he in, in contention there. Yeah. And I would imagine there's pressure too on him. As I think he said, you know, I wanted to change the narrative around how South Pacifica men were perceived. Yeah. I wanted to move away from being the statistic into being the change agent. His way of articulating how he moved between the worlds was just magnificent. I loved it. Yeah, and I think this is going to ring true for our listeners because it is systemic racism, right? I mean, this is the experience of Indigenous young people and Indigenous peoples all over the world. So actually, you know, this is the impact of colonisation and a number of other systemic factors. So I do think Jack's story is really pertinent in that way where it's about working within the system Um, And he makes that really clear that he made a very conscious choice to work within the system to create change. Uh, And I really like that, that conscious choice he made, right, because he would have had to have gotten over his own implicit experiences, history, uh, his assumptions about police uh, overall. Uh, There's a lot of um, you know, baggage coming from him into this role just as much as there is with the police that he's working with and with the young people that he's working with, right? So being able to acknowledge that, I mean, that's the epitome of critical reflection, right? Mm. He's actually trying to acknowledge that, meet that, process that and come to that point of what does that mean for my practice going forward? And what does that mean for my practice that when I'm working with young people like this uh, young man in the story... Mm. 
it's really important for me to also say I am not a police officer. Yes. That, that's not my role here with you. And in this particular young man's case, that was so important for him to have a, a, a male in his life that was persistently showing up. He had been rejected by the father figures in his life. He sought that through the gangs. Yeah. And how wonderful that Jack comes into his life and poses another, I guess, another template for this young man. That's right. It's providing a different example of what an adult male Pacifica man can be. And I think, you know, that's fundamental in the growth of this young person, right? Just back to your point, Liz, about that um, being really clear about the difference between the police role and the social work role. And I think the illustration, he used that analogy of the steel cap boots, <laughs> right? And that really brought it home for me. It's, um, you know, if you're coming from a police perspective, we automatically jump to police brutality, right? Unfortunately, that's the reality for Indigenous young people in their lives. Whereas for Jack, it was much more about, you know, the door's going to be slammed in my face, so I better not break my toes. Let's put those steel cap boots on. And I just think that's beautiful because that's exactly what it is. It draws a line in the sand between the professions and the focus and emphasis that they have. I would have loved to have watched his rapport building uh, beyond the foot being jammed in the door. You know, how, how did he eventually get the door open? And I think... We got a picture of that with this young man and that was I just kept on showing up. Yeah. And how important is that? I mean, the showing up is like 70% of the, of the equation here. Yeah. Just being consistent, just being persistent and holding hope for this particular young man who had given up on himself, right? Yeah. So here's, his, here's Jack, the social worker, just persistently showing up and being creative in the therapeutic model that he and this young man co-created. You know, there was not the, you know, the 50-minute neat little sessions here. We had a half day some days. We had, you know, perhaps a quick conversation in between other things that he was doing. Sometimes it was a conversation around food. Yeah. A beautiful model that suited this particular young man. And also suited the cultural background that they're coming from, right? Yeah. And I think that's really key as well because a lot of our services that we provide are heavily steeped in Western notions of punctuality and timekeeping and record keeping and systems right but they're heavily western and so to be able to kind of for jack to really easily say okay so it's pushed out the rest of my appointments for the day okay that's fine you know and i think that's really important because that brings an authenticity to their relationship as well and to the intervention that jack's actually involved with it you know that idea of planned purposeful interventions the informality is part of the planned purpose here and it's also part of the hope, right? Yeah. That eventually things might shift and might change. Um, and you have to be in for the long haul. And I loved his approach to when he received the referral. What was mm. it? The judge's That's last right. chance. <laughs> referral. Judge's last chance referral. <laughs> I mean, gosh, doesn't that say it all? Yeah. And... You know, when you get, I, I, I was just thinking about those referrals that you receive where it is different language, but it's like the referral of last resort. Yeah. And the heaviness of heart that I have felt over the years with some of those referrals. But for me, Jack has motivated me to rethink that, 
that you actually have to hold it and have a different vision for this young man and celebrate the the small gains. Oh, absolutely, because it's the long haul. It's so the you long have haul. to celebrate the small gains as you go along. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I really loved as well the way that Jack really pinpointed his own privilege of education in amongst all of this lack of privilege that was the privilege that he held education so it comes back to what you were saying before about shifting between languages and being able then to support this young person through advocacy because of changing the narrative of the story telling the young person's story and bridging those divides through privilege right I really like that identification of it um, and just that whole ideal is of you know, how important it is to be working with young people at this point in their lives. Jack used the phrase, speak life into young people, right? And I love that because that idea that actually you're working with someone at one of their most crucial foundational times of their life, they are becoming the person they will be. And so to be able to be that role model, you know, not just role modelling how to be a father, how to be an adult male, but how to sit with someone in authenticity, how to be generous in your relationships with people, right? Those were all the values that Jack was actually embodying as well and teaching this young person without having to label it. You're right, Mim, because it's that real fork in the road moment for this young man. There could have been quite a different trajectory um, that he took if he didn't choose to work with with Jack perhaps. That's it. And so there was a power that this relationship brought to this young man and I think, you know, 15 years down the track he was he was incredibly grateful of, of Jack being able to partner with him in a way that made him the man that he is, the father that he is today. But there's also that uh, trajectory in the police culture, right? Yeah. Imagine how powerful it is to see this young man's life transformed through working in this particular way with Jack and the vision that they then held for possibility for for other young men in the community. Like that, that referral of Last Chance then blossomed into something quite different, I would imagine, for any of those police that had witnessed what happened to that young man through working with Jack. Well, it changes the narrative. Changes the narrative. It's yeah, and I Moves think it's from does. statistic to change agent. That's right. And I think that's the power of storytelling, right? That's the power of bringing the story to the statistic is that it no longer is something you can stand at a distance from. We're now talking about an actual person who has a life ahead of them and how we what we you know we often talk on this podcast is about the very small window we get into a person's life right and what an opportunity you know jack was blessed to have a bit longer than that to have this period of time and then to be able to go back and see him 15 years later i mean amazing right mm. and i think that's what sustains you in the profession as well is knowing that you can make an impact and that this particular social work position is embedded in the police mm. so it's part of, he was part of the particular, you know, office that they, they all worked from. You know, like how it's, it's so easy to, you know, give social workers a bit of a, a rap if they're external to your organisation. Yeah. You know, the, the do-gooders <laughs> from the hospital or the, or the little community centre down the road. But Jack's in there with them, probably having lunch with them every so often, whatever. 
it's much easier then to see the impact of the work and then the powerful ripple effects that that then has because it becomes part of the police culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just infinitely satisfying, I think. I yeah. think we need more police social workers. Oh, absolutely. And um, and we were talking before we started recording about where they might sit. I've um, I've known of social workers sitting with domestic violence liaison officers before and um, being employed by the police and working closely with them. Right. Um, but... And, and it would be different in different states and in different areas as well and different countries, obviously. But I agree with you, Liz. I mean, social workers working alongside police, it happens often in multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary teams, uh, but in the same team. I mean, how, how useful is that? Maybe Jack's story might resonate for someone out there in podcast world. Oh, it would be great to hear if you are working in a situation where you are working really closely with police. I know it happens in child protection all the time. Um, and so if you're in a team uh, working with police, we'd love to hear your stories as well, just to add uh, to the tapestry that this is. I also really want to thank Jack for uh, bringing us a Pacifica story to the um, podcast. You know, it's always exciting, Liz, to have a different story from a different part of the world and such a rich community that hasn't been represented yet on our podcast, I think. So this is fantastic. And would I be right in saying that Jack will one day be on another favourite podcast of ours, Min? Yes, absolutely. So uh, Jack is also going to feature in the near future on the Social Work Discoveries podcast. Oh, what a wonderful podcast that is. Because this is actually the topic of Jack's PhD research. So uh, we are going to put the link in the show notes to allow you to jump on and see what else Jack is working on. Uh, and, um, And yeah, hear more about his research in that space. And then in the future as well with any other future podcasts that are coming out from us, Liz. Um, we hope to hear Jack's voice there as well. So uh, thank you for the story, Jack. Thank you, everyone. Um, we hope you've had a good uh, month and that you're taking care of yourselves out of there and we hope uh, you have a good month coming up. And finally, happy World Social Work Day. Happy World Social Work Day. Do something fabulous. Have a good laugh with your colleagues and um, uh, try not to take it too seriously for just a day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Social Work Stories podcast. All of the stories we share are de-identified to respect and protect the people involved. We create this podcast because we're passionate about building the global social work community and strengthening our practice, no matter the context. If you want to help us grow the podcast tribe and continue the work we do, We would love it if you can subscribe or follow the podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be sure to get every episode as soon as it's released. While you're in your podcast app, if you can leave us a five-star rating and write a review, it would mean so much to us. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, where you can share our posts with your friends to help spread the word. And you can always find us at our home on the web, socialworkstories.com. The Social Work Stories podcast is made by Liz Murphy, Dr. Mim Fox, Justin Stesch, Dr. Ben Joseph, and Maddie Stratton. Thanks so much for listening.